0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: St. Teresa's abandonment to God's merciful love shows us the road to perfect freedom. The word freedom has been distorted out of all relationship to its true meaning. Modernists see freedom as an ability to do whatever they want, without having any regard to its consequences, either on ourselves or others. However, that brand of so-called freedom leads to bondage. It destroys ourselves and others in a more total way than any chains or prison bars actually could. Consider one of the outward signs of freedom, one eagerly sought by many young people, the ability to consume alcohol legally. Within the limits of temperance, this ability can add harmless pleasure and new dimensions to our social lives. If abused to the point of drunkenness, it causes great harm. If abused repeatedly, it can ruin the lives of those who consume, their associates, and even complete strangers. This is not freedom, but bondage. So the limitations of temperance actually adds to the individual's freedom in this aspect of life. Saint Therese of the Child Jesus, often referred to as the Little Flower, offers us a perfect example of the proper use of freedom. The founder of the international TFP movement, Professor Plenio Correa de Alavera, considered this dimension of St. Teresa's writings in a talk that he gave on April 17, 1967. The Return to Order moment offers its listeners excerpts of that talk as published in the January 2022 issue of the American TFP's St. Gabriel Bulletin. We
0: begin with an excerpt from St. Therese's Offering to God's Merciful Love. Here is the text. I want to console you for the ingratitude of the wicked, and I beg of you to take away my freedom to displease you. If through weakness I sometimes fall, may your divine grace cleanse my soul immediately, consuming all my imperfections like the fire that transforms everything into itself. I thank you, O my God, for all the graces you have granted me, especially the grace of making me pass through the crucible of suffering. It is with joy that I shall contemplate you on the last day, carrying the scepter of your cross. Since you designed to give me a share in this very precious cross, I hope in heaven to resemble you and to see shining in my glorified body the sacred stigmata of your passion. After the earth's exile, I hope to go and enjoy you in the Fatherland. But I do not want to lay up merits for heaven. I want to work for your love alone, with the one purpose of pleasing you, consoling your sacred heart, and saving souls who will love you eternally. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, For I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed with your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne, no other crown but you, my beloved. Time is nothing in your eyes, and a single day is like a thousand years. You can, then, in one instant prepare me to appear before you. In order to live in one single act of perfect love, I offer myself as a victim of holocaust to your merciful love, asking you to consume me incessantly, allowing the waves of infinite tenderness shut up within you to overflow into my soul and that thus I may become a martyr of your love, O oh my God, Unquote. This text is so rich that there is no time to comment on it in its entirety, but we can comment on one or two paragraphs. Let us take the first paragraph, and I repeat. I want to console you for the ingratitude of the wicked, and I beg of you to take away my freedom to displease you. I want to console you for the ingratitude of the wicked, and I beg of you to take away my freedom to displease you. If through wickedness I sometimes fall, may your divine grace cleanse my soul immediately consuming all my imperfections like the fire that transforms everything into itself, Unquote. Here we see two things. First, St. Therese asks our Lord to take away her freedom to displease him and then admits she might have done so. How can we reconcile these two thoughts? First of all, What is the freedom to displease God? Does he really take away from some the pleasure to displease him? He does, for people confirmed in grace, which is very rare. All the apostles were confirmed in grace, meaning that God took away from them what could be called freedom to displease him in the ordinary, unpretentious sense of the word. The person is left with full, perfect freedom, which is not the freedom to displease God, but precisely being free from temptations and the appeals of evil, free to do what his soul desires, to love God continuously. So God takes away the person's freedom to displease him, but not freedom as such. On the contrary, his freedom is increased Just as the freedom of the blessed in heaven, all confirmed in grace, is much greater than that of a man on earth. Why? Because full freedom consists precisely in doing what reason and faith command, and reason and faith command to serve God. Disordered passions, Temptations, diabolical obstacles, and solicitations give us a desire to do something opposed to the dictates of wisdom and reason. Such temptations diminish our freedom, and by removing them, we lose something falsely called freedom, the freedom to offend God. In fact, by receiving that grace we are confirmed in the fullness of our freedom. Was St. Therese asking for confirmation in grace or modestly asking that he keep her at his service and that, if she had the misfortune to displease him, it would be as instantaneous as if she had not left the path of virtue? At least for me, this passage is not clear enough to make an accurate interpretation. At any rate, we should see how she considered God's action in a sinning soul. She knew her soul was so united to God that her fault would be out of weakness, like a child's. A soul in her spiritual infancy, hers would not be a sin of perfidy in the proper and complete sense of the word. So she said, If I ever fall through weakness... May your divine gaze soon purify my soul, consuming all my imperfections like fire, which transforms all things into itself. Unquote. She is therefore asking for one of those fulminating graces that can transform a soul in an instant, eliminating its long standing defects by a single touch. Everything leads us to believe that the culminating episode in the history of souls, which is our Lord's gaze towards St. Peter, was like that. St. Peter was wholly changed in an instant. The former St. Peter of laziness, superficiality, and distorted impulses disappears and gives rise to the St. Peter who was the pillar of the Church. Our Lord gazed lovingly toward him with infinite tenderness, forgiveness, and a sacral, elevated, most sweet, coherent, and impressive reproach. That is how he gazed at St. Peter, who was completely transformed at that very moment. As a soul with all the boldness of an eagle, St. Therese said that she had the body of a bird, but the eyes of an eagle. She had the heart and eyes of an eagle. She had the heart and eyes of an eagle that was asking for that grace so she would not fall again. You see how marvelous that grace was that she asked for. How we must make her request our own. May we never sin. The Te Deum contains a beautiful request. Lord, deign to preserve me this day without sin. There is also a beautiful supplication in the anima Christi. Do not allow me to be separated from you. The person puts his whole soul into that supplication. Let come what may, but may I never be separated from you. I ask with all the elan and impetus of which my soul is capable, may I not be separated from you. Then she asks, what if this happens? If it happens, may my iniquity be instantly cleansed by your grace and may I be wholly transformed and made much better than I was. This reference probably concerns some major fault and especially little faults that even righteous souls sometimes commit. Scripture says that a just person sins seven times a day. That explains this great act of contrition. Also beautiful is her request to have the stigmata of the passion shine on her body in heaven. She is a soul ardently in love with our Lord and naturally wished to have the stigmata of his passion. She would somehow stray from her little way because it does not call for extraordinary or miraculous events. The little way includes the normality of ordinary spiritual life. But since she wanted to have the stigmata of the passion in a flight of the soul... She asks that as a consequence of her love for affirming on this earth, she may have the stigmata shine on her body when she gets to heaven. I think it would be very beautiful to make an image of St. Therese of the Child Jesus in the glory of heaven with the stigmata on her hands and feet. At the last judgment, her request will be undoubtedly granted. And she will have shining stigmata like those of St. Francis of Assisi. Another very beautiful thought is that she does not work with the intention of accumulating merits. She works exclusively to serve our Lord. Let any merits accumulate later. They are not the reason for her attitude. The reason for her attitude is completely unselfish love. According to that beautiful phrase of St. Teresa the Great, even if there were no heaven, I would love you. Even if there were no hell, I would fear you, This is a completely disinterested and self-abnegated union with God. She dares not present her actions to God because all actions of the righteous are tainted. Indeed, something tainted can and does enter in every man's actions. With extraordinary audacity, she says, I will not present myself to you with my merits. I will clothe myself with your righteousness. I am going to clothe myself in your holiness, just as Jacob clad himself in goatskins to pretend that he was Esau. See Genesis chapter 27. I will clothe myself in your righteousness and will thus stand before you. Here you see in the heroism of small souls who feel that they have nothing to offer so that they make this superlative offer. They offer God the virtue of God himself and present themselves before him. This has astonishing greatness. Finally comes her offering, In order to live in one single act of perfect love, I offer myself as a victim of holocaust to your merciful love, asking you to consume me incessantly, allowing the waves of infinite tenderness shut up within you to overflow my soul, And that thus I may become a martyr of your love, O my God. In other words, God's merciful love flows from the sacred heart of Jesus and filters through the immaculate heart of Mary as from inexhaustible springs. But it so happens that men are continually rejecting this merciful love. They do not give it importance and see it as sentimentality or empty chatter. They do not care about it. So this love remains without having someone to correspond to it. So St. Therese presents herself and says, I am here as a Holocaust victim. I want this despised love to concentrate in me. I want this love to be so great as to consume and kill me. I want to die for love and thus make reparation for the contempt of all who reject it. We see how quickly she was consumed, having died at the age of 24. Her career on this earth was lightning short but she was consumed by love. She died after having loved God so intensely that she quickly traveled her entire spiritual journey, and when fully ripe for sacrifice, she was taken away. She awaited death as a victim awaits the moment of her Holocaust's complete consummation. She desires death to fly to God. So here we have the explanation of her martyrdom throughout her life. And at the hour of death, she received the Holocaust to God's merciful love. One might wonder if that Holocaust to merciful love has any meaning in this day and age. I think there are reasonable grounds to believe, at least as highly likely that St. Therese's Holocaust to Merciful Love has a lot to do with the graces of the Grand Retour and the Reign of Mary, because she announced that she was going to spread a shower of roses throughout the world. In Story of a Soul, which I read thoroughly, and in some of her letters, we see that she knew humanity would take a new stance vis-a-vis the love of God because of her Holocaust. Thanks to her sacrifice, something would change in the history of mankind's love of God, and a new chapter would be written. The legions of little souls that she would attract to our Lord were brought by this sacrifice and make other words fertile opening the little way, and changing humanity's lukewarm attitude toward God. This new history of souls in the face of God's love, this new attitude, this historic turnaround, has not yet taken place. There is no doubt that St. Therese has already done a lot of good. Still, There is no doubt that the heresies devouring Catholic circles fiercely fought and particularly sabotaged the devotion to St. Therese among the faithful. This devotion is now abysmally smaller than it used to be. I remember that on St. Therese's feast days, I saw entire streetcars stopping and leaving empty as everyone descended to visit her church. St. Therese's church filled to capacity, all its doors were open, people stood outside, and solemn masses followed one after the other. All this has been waning, even as the population of Sao Paulo has increased. In other words, devotion to St. Therese has declined. Does that mean that all her hopes were reduced to producing this movement of love that she inspired? To me, it does not seem so. We must understand that this moment of love must continue and reach its culmination at a certain moment. What is this culmination? In my view, it is the founding of the TFP. The fact that so many little and even lame and maimed souls are attracted to the group and awakened to the love of God and Our Lady with new enthusiasm to start on a new path. I would dare say that it is not possible that something like the TFP, so new in the history of the Church, running counter to thousands of previous failures, could appear without someone having died and shed new blood for it. I do not think this forgiveness would have taken place. I believe, therefore, that one can admit as extremely likely that St. Therese of the Child of Jesus' martyrdom and holocaust to God's merciful love bought for us the graces that we do not deserve. We were given the grace to see the group's awakening and founding and the grace to found the group through undeserved mercy obtained for us by Mary's prayers. But that was done because many decades earlier, a virgin without stain, living in the one Christian and Marian kingdom of France, offered her whole soul, heart, and life to obtain it. St. Therese would then be the blood that watered our seed even before it was planted, that gave life to our seed even before it was placed in the ground. As a victim of her holocaust to merciful love, there she would be, obtaining as many pardons as I see within the TFP. What a wonderful thing it is to simply have been called. Usually. The grace of being called already implies a pardon. Few are those who join the TFP without Our Lady having to forgive them long before. And then, how many pardons do we see within the TFP? How many regenerations in the sense of God's love? Now, someone died for this. At least one person died for it. And we must admit that in all probability, if not with moral certainty, that the life of St. Therese of the Child Jesus is at the root of this. The shower of the roses she purchased falls on the TFP,
1: which distributes the petals
0: worldwide.
1: This concludes St. Teresa's abandonment to God's merciful love shows us the road to perfect freedom. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www toorder.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.